This is Drew Kaiser, and you are listening to Wide Margins, episode 48, Blessings. This is a part of our series on the life of Jacob. We're calling it Favored Cheat. We're winding down near the end. Uh, We have this episode and one more, and we will be finished with this series on the life of Jacob. And this, this particular episode is about blessings. Blessings, or bless, that's a word we use a lot without thinking about what it means. I've noticed that have a good day has been replaced with have a blessed day, at least in the part of the world where I live. I hear that all the time. You go through the checkout line, have a blessed day. You talk to somebody on the phone, have a blessed day. I wonder if they know what they mean. I think they mean to replace something secular with something Christian or at least something spiritual in some sense, but I don't know if they've given it a whole lot more thought than that. Not that they have to. I know I'm being a little nitpicky here, but we do need to understand what we mean when we say, let's say a prayer and bless the food, or we pray to God and we ask for blessings, or we talk about the good things in our life in terms of blessings, or we wish somebody to have a blessed day. What do all of those phrases mean? I think it's important for us to know what we're saying when we say things. And when we pronounce pronounce a blessing, when we pray for a blessing, when we use the word bless, we're talking about a pronouncement of good upon the recipient, upon whomever is being blessed. So if I wish somebody a blessed day, I'm pronouncing good things upon that person. It's very general, but something good. If I pray to God for blessings, or I'm counting my blessings, I'm asking Him for good things, or I'm counting the good things in my life. When I bless the food, I'm praying that God will pronounce this food good for me and good in the furtherance of my life. So blessings have to do with good things, and they're usually very general, but we don't need to think of them in terms of some Uh, especially in prayer, some kind of spell or incantation. Uh, I've blessed this, so now it's magically good. That's, That's not what's going on. We're talking to a real personal being, our Father in heaven, who cares about us and who has the power to bless us. And that's what happens when we have blessings in our lives. Now, why am I talking about blessings? Because... In this phase of Jacob's life, near the end of his life, we see him blessing a number of people. And you see this a lot in these old men throughout the Old Testament in particular. A lot of old men blessing people. Noah blessed two of his sons and cursed one of them, cursing Ham for his sin and blessing Shem and Japheth. Uh, You have Melchizedek, the priest of Salem and king of Salem, who was this mysterious character that comes out of the mists and blesses Abraham after his victory over the five kings who, uh, or maybe it was four kings, I can't remember, who kidnapped Lot. And you hear about blessings in other cases as well. Well, Jacob is one who in his old age blessed a lot of people, and what we learn from them teaches us a lot about God's blessings in our lives. And overall, the theme is going to be that blessings are for God. We 
have been created for God's glory, Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, verse 7. It's all about Him. So even the good things in our lives are not just about us. They are to be used. They are to be recognized for God's glory. Now, that's the overall idea that you get from these chapters we're going to look at in the life of Jacob. But in, in, within that idea, there are some very important ideas that we need to cover. And the first one is that God's blessings change us. They are transforma- transformational. They make a difference in our lives. I want to pick up reading with the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 47. And I'm going to start in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 47. I was a little behind the eight ball here. didn't have my Bible turned to the right place. But here, I have it now. Here's Genesis 47, beginning in verse 7. Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, you remember where we are in Jacob's life. He and his family have all moved to be reunited with Joseph in Egypt because of the famine that was going on where they've been dwelling in Canaan. So the whole nation that's forming from the descendants of Abraham are temporarily transported for, and they'll remain in Egypt for centuries. Uh, They're in Egypt now. And Jacob is getting to meet Pharaoh for the first time, and he comes before Pharaoh, and he blesses Pharaoh. Now, do you realize how jaw-dropping a statement that is, that Jacob blessed Pharaoh? Pharaoh is a king. Jacob is the father of a bunch of sheep herders and goat herders. Jacob, from a worldview perspective, is no big deal. Pharaoh is maybe the most powerful ruler on earth at this time. And Jacob is blessing Pharaoh. Now, the Hebrews writer will reflect back on the time when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and he points out that blessings are pronounced from the greater to the lesser. So, spiritually speaking, this is a sign that Jacob, in some way, is greater than Pharaoh. And I think we can appreciate that, but If you can imagine Pharaoh receiving this, uh, Jacob is in a position of influence, power, however you want to look at it. He is taking the position of the greater person. And so, let's move on to this conversation between the two of them. Verse 8, Pharaoh asks Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Let's concentrate on that statement. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. What do you think he meant by that? It's very interesting. I I get a lot of help on Jacob's life from Robert Alter. Robert Alter wrote a translation and commentary on 
five books of Moses and several other books of the Old Testament. And here is an excerpt from that I want to share on this comment that few and evil have been the days of my life. Jacob's summary of his life is a somber reflection of what we have seen him undergo. He has, after all, achieved everything he aspired to achieve, the birthright, the blessing, marriage with his beloved Rachel, progeny, and wealth. But even though he got everything he wanted, he did not get it in the way he wanted, meaning his life had more pain than contentment. From his clashing with his twin in the womb, everything had been a struggle. He displaced Esau, but only at the price of fear and lingering guilt and long exile. He got Rachel, but only by having Leah imposed on him with all the domestic strife that entailed, and he lost Rachel early in childbirth. He received a new name from his divine adversary, but he came away with a permanent wound. He got the full solar year number of 12 sons, but there was enmity among them, and he spent 22 years continually grieving over his favorite son, whom he believed was dead. This is, in sum, a story with a happy ending that withholds any simple feeling of happiness in the end. So it's a, it's a story with a happy ending, Alter says, without the simple feeling of happiness in the end. That's an interesting story, right? That's, that's different from happily ever after in the fairy tales. This is more true to life. A happy ending without just this simple happy feeling at the end. Why does God choose to bless us this way? What's the advantage of, of blessing us with all this complexity? And the answer is, He's trying to transform us. You can see this in Jacob himself. Here he is near the end of his life. He probably stays in bed most of the time. He's very old, 130 years old, if you can imagine. And in Genesis 47, verse 31, he's about to die, and he calls Joseph to his bedside. He makes him promise to bury him in the land of his fathers, not in Egypt. And Joseph promises this, and then we read that Israel bowed himself and worshipped upon the head of his bed. He's not the same man he was in the beginning. The simple act of bowing himself and worshipping at the head of his bed, I think is a real sign of, of the changed man. It's the inroad. He started out as Jacob the cheater, and now he's Israel the striver. He's owning that identity that was given him in Genesis chapter 32 when he wrestled with the angel and prevailed, and the angel changed his name. That new identity began there, and he still had to work on that and allow God to transform him and mold him into the true one who strives with God, alongside of God and strives in the face of God at times. And the story of his life is now growing to its close. And in these chapters, I think it's really interesting that he's called Israel more and more and more. I counted it up in between Genesis 47 and 49. The name Israel occurs 19 times, whereas Jacob occurs 15 times. Israel's being used to refer to him more than Jacob. And that's not true near the beginning of the story, especially before the striving with the angel. He had not even received that name yet, but even afterwards, he's still called Jacob 
most of the time. Now he's called Israel more because the transformation is almost complete. And so the first thing that, that I want us to think about here is we see Jacob blessing Pharaoh and receiving blessings in his own life is transformation is the point of these blessings. And Jacob had to come by them the hard way so that that transformation could occur. We're not just receiving blessings to make life easier or to make life more comfortable or to give us the things that we want. We're receiving blessings for a purpose, for God's purpose, and that's really coming through in this story. Now, the second thing I want us to look at, remember, this is all about God's glory, is that God's blessings are bestowed in unexpected ways. We kind of already covered that territory, but I want to look at it a little more carefully in something else that happens. We saw him blessing Pharaoh. Now, Jacob is about to die, and Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his father for a blessing. And Jacob basically adopts Joseph bo- Joseph's boys, hinting at the fact that they would replace his two oldest sons, Reuben and Simeon, who had brought shame upon him and the family. Furthermore, by blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob bestows a double blessing upon his favorite son. So he gets to bless Joseph twice. The blessing is another one of those vivid scenes from Jacob's life, which makes his story so interesting. And I'm going to read to you from it in uh, Genesis 48, verse 13 and following. And as I read it, notice Joseph's reaction to his father, at first thinking he's a senile 130-year-old man. And you'd naturally understand why he thought that way, but you'll see there's more to it than just senility. Sen- senility. Is that a word? Senility? I think I said it right. Here's Genesis 48:13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations." So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. I think you could pick up on this from the reading, but just to make it clear, as 
he was blessed before the firstborn, his brother Esau. Jacob blessed Joseph's youngest, Ephraim, over his oldest, Manasseh. Even when Joseph tried to clarify and stop his father from doing that, he took this unusual, unexpected route to bless his grandsons. And there are a lot of unexpected, a lot of examples of God blessing his people in unexpected ways. Another series that I've done on this podcast, in fact, the only other series I've done on this podcast so far is on the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, there are so many examples of this. In fact, all the unusual details are really there so that God could show that he is the one moving the pieces on the chessboard. He's doing things in unexpected ways to prove that man is not the explanation for what is happening. Um, You know, you start with the first judge, Othniel, an unusually old man for a military leader, and yet he succeeds. Then you have Ehud, who was left-handed. That was unusual for a warrior. Next you have Shamgar, a Gentile leading Jewish people, and then follow him with Deborah a woman in an age when women were not in positions of influence. You follow her with Gideon. He was, by his own admission, least in his father's house. And you also have Jephthah, an unusual example, because he was the son of a prostitute and dishonored in his years coming up through the ranks. But when they needed a leader, they looked to him, and God used him to deliver his people. Uh, You fast forward into the days of the United Kingdom, and you come to David. And Samuel goes to David's house to find the next king for Israel, and he sees the oldest of Jesse's children, Eliab, the firstborn. He's tall, he's handsome, he looks like a warrior. Samuel assumes this is the man, and God says, No, don't look at him. I've rejected him. He is not the one. The Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but upon the soul, upon the heart. He says, God does not see as man sees. And Samuel finds the youngest of Jesse's, David, and he's the one. Again, another unexpected blessing. And then there's Jesus. God could have sent his son to earth in any form he pleased. And instead, he sent him in the form of a servant, a carpenter's son, in Galilee, far away from Jerusalem. A nobody, really. And he was the one to deliver the world, not the Messiah everybody was expecting. And what are all these unexpected blessings about? Again, it all goes back to the glory of God. It's all to show that he's the one moving the pieces on the board. We deserve no credit whatsoever. If things were happening happening in human ways, we might make that mistake. We might think, well, it's by my own might that I have gained this these blessings in life. But things don't happen in a straight line in this world. And you look back as Jacob do, did, and at the end of your life you'll see that Most of the blessings, maybe all the blessings you wished for came true, but not in the way that you wished for them. It's an unusual, unexpected way. God's still doing it 
that way today. Over in the first epistle to the Corinthians, Paul highlights this, and he asks his readers to think about it, to just think about this concept for a moment. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. One last idea, and that's that God's blessings come through His people. This also has to do with bringing Him glory. God wants the blessings to come through His people so the world can see where they originate. They're not sourced with the people. They're flowing through the people, and it's important to understand that. If you don't understand it that way, then you could look at a person pronouncing blessings like Jacob, you could look at him as some kind of soothsayer or witch doctor who's who has the power, who decides whom will be blessed and whom will not. Uh, that That's not what Jacob's doing. The blessings originate with God and they simply flow through Jacob, his servant. Notice Genesis 48 verse 3, what he says before he blesses Joseph's boys. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So what he said to the boys did not originate with Jacob. It merely was passed down from what he'd received from the ultimate blesser. And Jacob recalls the words that were spoken to him at that occasion at Luz in the land of Canaan. God said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So he repeated this blessing that was first given to Abraham, then Isaac, then then to Jacob, and now from Jacob to his grandchildren, really. And you can break it down into three parts. There was the promise of population. You're going to multiply. You're going to become a great nation. Then the promise of land. And then a promise of salvation. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that, of course, would come through the Messiah, as they would learn centuries later. So, these blessings are coming through the people of God instead of straight from God or instead of being sourced or originating in the people. They're coming through God, uh, from God, through the people to the world. You see this further in Genesis 49, and this is a really interesting chapter. We just don't have enough time to go line by line through it, but he calls all of his sons, the 12 sons, to his bedside to bless them before he passes on, and he says to them, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. And he's going to pass down blessings he received from God to them, one by one. And like I said, I don't have time to 
to go through each one individually, but we can summarize them this way. First of all, he issues a few curses. Starting with Reuben, he calls him unstable as water and strips away his preeminence because he went to his father's bed. If you want the background on that story, you can go back and listen to the episode on Genesis 35, or you can just look up Genesis 35, verse 22. I'm not going to retrace that this time. And then he also curses the anger of Simeon and Levi for what they did to the people of Shechem after their sister Dinah was violated by the prince of Shechem. But then he turns to the blessings after the first three born sons are cursed. And there are blessings here of population and land. A Zebulun is told that he shall dwell at the shore of the sea. Joseph is called a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall. But more importantly for us, there is a blessing of salvation. Uh, You know, I'm sure, that Jesus was a descendant of King David who came from the tribe of Judah. And Jacob's words to his fourth son Judah are very interesting in this connection. These, These are found in Genesis 49 verses 8 through 10. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, this blessing is exceedingly difficult to translate, especially, especially that last part. There's confusion over whether verse 10 should read, until Shiloh come, which is what's in the King James Version, or as I just read it from the ESV, until tribute comes to him, or some variation of one or the other of these. Either way, it's clear Jacob is prophesying something special for Judah. Either Shiloh will be a messianic title foreshadowing Christ himself, or Judah is represented here as a great kingdom to whom tribute or taxes will come and the obedience of the peoples. If you want to look at it that way, that too is messianic language having to do with uh, the spiritual kingdom of Christ, the church, and how it is greater than all the kingdoms of the earth. Either way, if you want to look at it as Shiloh, meaning that the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah, or that Judah will turn into this great uh, kingdom. Either way, you're looking at a messianic prophecy here, saying these people, the descendants of Abraham, are going to be the God's people through whom God's blessings will flow to bless the whole world. And all of this is for the glory of God. So blessings are not just to bring us comfort or to give us fun or joy or happiness. Those can be great byproducts of the blessings, but we are created for the glory of God. And blessings, as demonstrated here in this episode of Jacob's Life, are for God's glory as well. So let God use your life as a blessing. The good things that he gave you are not meant to be hoarded. They're to be sent back to him through blessing others. God's blessings are like a boomerang. He throws it, that comes to us, and then returns back to him 
in glory. We'll close with some of Jacob's final words to his beloved son Joseph. These are words of blessing. His bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. By the God of your father who will help you. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. That's the end of the blessings. We have one more lesson in the life of Jacob, the favored cheat. We'll finish up next time on Wide Margins.